And now, Father, I pray, pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord, that your word may be spoken this morning and your word alone received. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm going to begin in a very weird place this morning. I'll just warn you, I'm going to begin by talking about threes. Yes, you heard me right. Threes. Threes, tons of threes. Everywhere, where in every area of human knowledge, there are categories of threes. But you didn't know that, did you? Think about the big picture. Let's, let's talk about space, about the universe. Three domains, really. There is the cosmic universe. We're a little uh, planet and a little solar system and a little galaxy among billions of galaxies. That's the big domain. Then there's this earth, the earth on which we live. That's the second domain where the things that we see, hear, touch, feel, and sense, this is our world. And then there's the microscopic world, the third domain, this atomic or subatomic world. So three. Creation is in three parts, if you will. We live on a three-dimensional world. We have length and width and breadth. It's hard to imagine anything else. C.S. Lewis writes about it, about what it would be like if we, if we lived on a flat piece of paper, if we were a two-dimensional world. We had width and length, but no height. Uh, strange, hard to even imagine what that would be like. But we have three dimensions that we live in, not to mention time. And then there are the three building blocks of atoms, proton, neutron, electron. We now know that there are smaller elements as well, but basically there are three major building blocks. Matter comes in three phases, right? Solid, liquid, gas. We're all familiar with ice, water, and steam. We know how it works. Human pregnancy, did you know this, divides into three trimesters. You do know this. You've read the headlines. And there's different development, different stages. They're very distinct, the three trimesters. Plants derive three essential elements from air by photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Hmm. Okay, human bodies. Human bodies fall into three categories that scientists tell us, endomorph, mesomorph, ectomorph. I won't say which one are you. There are three distinct types of human hair. Did you know that? Three types of estrogen in the human body. Our art uh, colors are grouped by artists into three categories, primary, secondary, tertiary. And then when the human beings get involved, we, we start to develop things like businesses, business organizations. There are three types. Did you know that? Sole proprietorship, partnership and corporation. We em make emphasis in literature. Good writers use threes all the time. Somebody wrote this, of the people, by the people, and for the people. Good emphasis there. It shows up in Christian writing now. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. Again, three, 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 three. M much of our idioms, many of them are three words. Think about it. Nick of time, rule of thumb, for heaven's sakes. In other words, oh my gosh, by the way, and what the foo fooey that my grandchildren say all the time. <laughs> Sorry, that's rude, isn't it? But you know what I'm saying. Threes, even our language is based on threes. Subject, verb, object, sender, message, receiver. Even our jokes, right? Threes, all the time. You've heard about the rabbi and the priest and the pastor. They all went into a bar. Sorry, I can't finish. <laughs> Make up your own ending. Okay, so my point in all of that craziness is that that's not accidental. It's not just a convenient way of organizing information. We worship a God who is three, three persons, 
one God. And he created this whole thing and gave us life, designed it all, planned it all, executed it all. You would think that some of his nature might carry through into the created order. And I, I challenge you, you can spend the day, just Google threes. <laughs> you can get, you'll get, oh, I don't know, 35 million hits, and you'll find it much broader. I gave you a little tip of the iceberg. God is the threesome, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you hadn't guessed it already, this is Trinity Sunday, right? <laughs> the collect, the, the preface in the Eucharist, the text that we've read, uh, the sermon. This is the one day in the church year. There ought to be, it ought to be really every Sunday, but it's the one day in the church year when we celebrate and focus on God's triune nature. He was there at the creation, all three. You saw it in our readings this morning. Thank you for that uh, endless reading. It was wonderfully read. <laughs> wonderfully read. And I'm not going to take a lot from it, actually. What I'm going to take from it is God was there, three persons, right there at the very beginning. God the Father is there, the prime mover, the instigator, the one, the uncreated one who is going to create everything, the first cause. And the Holy Spirit is there, brooding over the waters, the old translation, what's this one say, hovering? He's there, the Spirit is there over the whole thing. And then God speaks his word. God the Son, in other words, the begotten one, he has spoken to create. Every creation step, God speaks the word. John's gospel tells us that this spoken creative word is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. John said, you remember the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and everything that was made was made through him. Nothing was made except through the Son. Father, God, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one God. Okay, disclaimer time. I am not going to explain to you this morning the Trinity. Aren't you glad? Uh, I mean, whole volumes are written about it. Uh, metaphors are used. None of them work very well. It's complicated. It's, in fact, my, my uh, advice to you is to think of the Trinity as a mystery. Three persons, perfectly clear in Scripture, three, per, three persons, one God. The problem we have with this, I think, is just simply we, we understand and know things mostly or a lot by comparison. We have nothing to compare this to. We have no picture in our earthly existence of any one person who is actually three persons and yet just one being. It does, doesn't work for us. I know there's a psychosis, multiple personality disorders. This is nothing like that. This is one person, three people, but one will, one God. Okay, enough of that. And in fact, uh, I'm not going to explain it for another reason, which is rector rule number 12, always have your assistant preach on Trinity Sunday. 
You've heard that rule? Yes, it's a good rule, actually. I, I love it. I don't know why I didn't do it. I must have been on vacation or something. But at any rate, um, I'm violating Rule 12. I'm not having my assistant. But I, I say all that just by way of saying I think that essentially the doctrine of the Trinity is not fully comprehensible. We can get an idea. We can talk about it. We can see in Scripture there's a, a hierarchy of function in the Trinity, if you will. They're equally, each person there in the Trinity is equally God without merit, without ranking, but there's a hierarchy of function. The, the Father begets the Son. The Son doesn't beget the Father. The Father is first and yet not higher. Hard to picture. The, the, the Father and the Son together send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't send the Father and the Son. We don't read that. Uh, you, you see what I'm saying. It's a concept that we don't have much of in our human existence. Equality of people, equality of personhood, and yet hierarchy of function. We tend to equate that hierarchy with value or worth of an individual. That's what we do. God's got this other picture. You can have different functions. You can have a hierarchy of function and yet be all the same. Think about that in relationship to marriage. It might help how you think about your relationship with your spouse. Equal persons, but hierarchy of function. Yes, dear, whatever you say. <laughs> I don't know which of you is saying that, but that's... You, okay. Trinity Sunday, beyond our comprehension, but we do see some, peer, some hierarchy of function, but I would suggest to you that we have basically, I like to call it our little pea brains, limited understanding. We're not infinite thinkers, but God is an infinite being, and so not fully comprehensible, and I would say if, if we think we could fully comprehend him, then we're not really thinking about God. Okay, enough of that. But for these reasons, and probably some others, the Trinity is the least popular doctrine. I don't know who takes these polls, but somebody did. And that's the least popular doctrine in Christianity, the least understood and the least appreciated. In fact, some branches of Christianity have dropped the, the doctrine of the Trinity, finding it uh, not just useless, but confusing. And so they just don't talk about it, they claim it's non-essential. Well, my point this morning, and this is probably the main point of the day, is that the Trinity is, in fact, critical. Critical. Absolutely essential. That three is at the center of God, who, who God is. It's the very essence. It's the, it is who He is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And vital, absolutely vital to us, His Creatures. Why is it important? Why does it matter? For example, what's wrong with a one-person God? That's Allah, right? The God of Islam. He is one. There's no Son. There's no Holy Spirit. It is Allah. Well, there are a couple of big problems with that. We know, if you think about it, we know as Christians it's essential that God is love. He says that about himself in this scripture. I, God is love. And we need that to be so. We have to have it. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but hold that thought. We must have a triune God. But think about this with me. It's impossible for a one-person God to be love. 
Can you follow that? Is it my, my, my eight o'clockers look to me blankly. I'm trying to, I'm trying to work this out, but it's, it's not that confusing. What is love? Love is relational. Love is a, at its best is an unconditional commitment to the best interests of another person. Love doesn't exist. It, it's impossible for one person to be love any more than they could be kindness or hospitality or power. These are qualities of relationships. And God says of himself that he is love. Well, I would say to you that that means that he must exist in a relationship. You follow that? You can't just declare that you're love. It's it's a quality of relationship. He has that as an infinite, eternal quality because he is relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Son. And as C.S. Lewis says, their love for each other is so real and so tangible and so personal that it's actually a third person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally love, loving one another. It's their essential nature. And you see why we need this? <laughs> if he were one person, we could say, okay, but he's loving. But he'd be loving by choice. It wouldn't be the essence of who he is. God, God cannot not be love. He is love. And he cannot not love you or not love me. He can't do it. He is love. Now, we don't always like his love or appreciate it. You know, there's a little kind of parental edge to it. There's some rules, some expectations that go along with his love, like a good parent. But he can't not love us. That's why Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, always interceding. That's how he loves us. We need this. Now, I know I'm the only one here that isn't always loving. I know the rest of you got this knocked, right? Just constantly living up to God's standards. and No, we're not, right? We are not. We need a God who won't, can't stop loving us. We've got to have that. So that's one problem with a one-person God. If he's not relational, he might not love us. <laughs> Frankly, we're not very lovable. And so we live under a God who will love us. Aren't we glad? Second problem, if he's not relational, this is a little more fundamental if you think about it. If he's not relational at heart, then there would be no us. Right? I mean, what's he need with us? <laughs> but because he is love, because he is relational, he's made us for relationship. We're the, I like to think, the inevitable result of a triune God in love a God who is love, we're the result, inevitable result, because the love of the three had to burst forth, think Big Bang, if you will, into a creation of love objects. We are loved, and we are the inevitable result of his triune nature. Only a God that's three persons is love, and out of that love, this God created us for love and made us in his image. That's the next key point, to be loving. I don't know, this, this is overwhelming to me. Maybe it's meaningless, but the fact that we're made in his image 
has this huge connotation. We're made to love. Unconditionally. Self-sacrificially. We're in his image. That's what our love is supposed to be. It is because that's who he is and we're made in his image. And so it is what we do best, at our best, if you think about it. I mean, parents at their best, what do they do? They self-sacrifice all the time for their kids. Yeah, we'd like to do this, but we need to save the money for college. You know what I'm talking about. As a parent, you did it. In a good marriage, that's what spouses do for one another in a good marriage. Mutually loving self-sacrifice. Stepping back so that the other is blessed. That's how God made us. Of course, we live in a fallen world, you and I do, where we're, our created loving nature is corrupted by sin. And so often we are selfish, we're unwilling to give up those things that are, would be the best for another. Uh, blank faces again. Sorry, I know that's not you all, but <laughs> some of us do, do live like that. Like, okay, maybe it's just the males. At any rate, <laughs> I'll pay for that later. Okay. Sometimes we're self-centered. But that's not, my point is, that's not how God made us. That's not, that's our fallen nature. He made us. And we distorted that nature with sin, and he had to fix that distortion by dying in our place through Jesus Christ, sending God the Son to take on that rebellion of ours, that self-centeredness, that we might be restored to a loving relationship with him and with one another. Jesus taught about this mostly, if you, if you look at his teaching, thinking about what he said, this self-sacrificial love, our human nature, he talked about it a lot. He's, he said to, the only way we're going to be his disciple is to give up everything that we have. One of our favorite Jesus pocketbook of promises. <laughs> be my disciple. Give up everything. He said if you want to keep your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life and give it up for me and my sake and the sake of the gospel and for others, you'll have life. He said, love one another. How? As I have loved you. Dying for one another. He taught you, if you know your New Testament, you know your gospels, you'll come back at me and say, well, he actually talked more about money than anything else. And that's true. If you add up the verbiage in the, New, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'll find that the word count is like two to one money compared to anything else. Parables and all the rest. Okay, why? It's all about love? Yeah, it actually is all about love because what did he say about money? <laughs> Use it for the kingdom of God. Give it away. Take care of poor people. If they take your cloak, give them your jacket also. Love, 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 love. All right, so we need God to be a trinity. Partly uh, for the sake of having that sort of godlike love, self-sacrificial love. We got it from him. He gave it to us. He made us that way. And when we get far enough away from that, we know we need it. I would suggest to you that that's probably the core of the problem with our culture today. We've lost the concept of self-sacrificial love. 
no, this is, I'm right, and you're wrong, and I hate you. <laughs> I'm exaggerating just a little bit. But that not that the state of, of, of discourse in our country today, largely much more so than it was in my memory 40, 50 years ago? Self-sacrificial love. Y yeah, I could part with a little more because these people don't have enough to eat. You know what I'm saying. Self-sacrificial love. I'm relevant to us here, too, at Holy Cross right at the moment. We are, we are launching <laughs> soon, uh, in the upcoming months, and next year, early next year, part of ourselves. We're one church. We have two campuses. And you know we're launching the Daniel Island campus. I'm here <laughs> to tell you that's going to require self-sacrificial love by everybody by all of us. We're not going to be the same over here at Sullivan's Island, and Daniel Island's not going to be the same either. We're going to be separate parishes in the diocese, and we think that we're called to that, and that God's in favor of that, because both are going to be stronger in the end and do more for the kingdom of God being separate. But the process of getting there is going to be costly. And we're going to have to be saying, no, we've got to give this up so they can thrive. And they need to be thinking over there, yes, we're going to have to kind of back down and cool off on this so that Solomon's will thrive. That's where we are. I know I've gone really gone to meddling now. I'm messing with it. So I'm sorry, I'm going to move on. But there are a couple of other things, just two quickies out of the Bissell and out of the Gospel lesson this morning to note about the Trinity. And it is through the Trinity that we have God's blessing, His fullest blessing. And it is through that Trinity that we have the authority to spread the kingdom. In the, gospel, in the epistle lesson, Paul gives us the blessing there at the very end that we could only have through a triune God. The love of God the Father, in other words, the protection, the parental love, the nurture, the guidance, the discipline, always for us. Then the grace of the Son, the grace, the unmerited favor that we have through Jesus Christ with our Lord, Jesus who's always interceding on our behalf. Again, always for us, and then the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Not just the fellowship with God, but the fellowship of here with each other by the Holy Spirit in each of us, making us one body. And then Jesus commands us in the gospel to go and make disciples, baptizing folks into what? Into the Trinity, into the name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and leading people into that relationship, a love relationship with God through the Trinity. So, bottom line, it's only one Sunday a year, but let's use it. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice together in our triune God that he is love. It is his nature. He cannot change. He cannot not love us. And from that nature, he created us in love. We get off the track regularly, but he's got a plan for that through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to love. He created us for that. And he's blessed us threefold, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and ordered us to go out and bring people into that same love relationship. Let's rejoice in a God that loves like that. Pray with me, please. Lord God, I thank you for who you are, and that you, in love, created the likes of us, 
and that you've loved us so much that you've never given up and you never will give up. We thank you and praise you and ask, Lord, to keep our hearts open to all that you want to do in and through us. In Christ's name, amen.